skunk ape, and it completely altered the course of my life. I found a skull. I think you guys are going to want to come build this. Put him out. 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 I just see it. I just see it. I just see it. Sightings of a UFO hovering over a barn. Millie woke up from a dream, and when I went into the bedroom, she said there's a monster on the wall. They saw that the creature had run through a barbed wire fence. They were able to obtain hairs. They sent the hairs to their lab and it came back as an unknown creature. What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only, Shane Squatch. And I'm Oren. Just Oren. <laughs> that should just be the nickname. We just call you Just Oren. J-O. J-O. What's up, my J-O? Joe. Joe. <laughs> Joe. Joe. <laughs> so uh, anyways, we got a absolutely fantastic episode for you guys. Uh, but of course, we have to give you some updates on some stuff. And then we got to move into the front of house stuff. But as far as updates go, uh, for anybody that's been enjoying uh, Bizarre Inquiries on our main feed, uh, the first two episodes were dropped onto the main feed and on YouTube. So if you guys want to go and check out the video format, that stuff is on YouTube. Uh, but going forward after the first two episodes, the rest are going to be Patreon exclusive shows besides the one a month that we drop on the normal feed, which will be like, I guess, our personal or like the fan favorite as far as Patreon goes. So going forward, you guys won't necessarily always see those on the timeline, uh, but expect to see them at least once a month. And uh, continuing on with that, of course, Oren has some other news to share with you guys as far as Bizarre Inquiries goes. Yeah, and like Shane said, uh, we've got our cryptid March Madness bracket slash tournament, whatever you want to call it, coming up uh, here in a couple months, and that will be available for everybody to listen to and enjoy, so uh, keep that in mind and send all your suggestions for cryptids for the bracket and uh, whoever uh, you guys want to root for to win. So uh, yeah, just something to have on the back burner here uh, coming up for a couple months. So just some add, something to add on with that, at least um, starting, I guess now going through February, uh, people just shoot me a message on Instagram, on Discord, however you guys want to get a hold of me. Um, you guys can simply just say the name of a cryptid. Uh, I'll know the context of it, and then I'll add your name for that. And then once we get to about a week before March starts, I should hopefully have the bracket together, at least as far as like all the names that are going to be on it. Uh, then I'll post that on the Instagram, and then you guys can comment on it. Let us know what camp you're in. I'll take a tally for of it and then we'll go from there and we'll keep you guys posted as more stuff goes on but throw us your suggestions that you'd like as far as that goes and if you don't want to necessarily throw a suggestion but you want to hop on with one of the brackets um, as soon as that gets posted make sure you guys comment and let me know which bracket that you would like to be in and then at the end of that of course we will have a big giveaway so definitely something exciting to look forward to. And piggybacking off of that, you guys know the drill. Do all the internet things. Reach out to us. Social media. Instagram's where we're most active. Shoot us an email. Uh, the 
Discord. Uh, we're trying to get that built up, so uh, reach out to us through there, and uh, Shane's going to tell you a little bit about the submission form. And if anybody has a bizarre encounter that they would like to report to us, that we can either investigate if you're close, uh, read it on the show, give you a shout-out, you could possibly be a guest on the show if you want to come on and talk about it, or if you simply just want somebody to talk about an experience with and you don't want it to get down it out to anybody. We can do any of those things, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter if it's paranormal, extraterrestrial, cryptids, weird anomalous things that have happened. We want to hear about them. Report them to OMM encounter reports at outlook.com, or you guys can go to our link tree and there is a specific submission form that says report and encounter. And beyond that, if anybody wants to support the show, a couple different ways to do so. Number one is to go and join the Patreon over there. You'll get exclusive things such as early access to shows, lives of shows, live replays of shows, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, Bizarre Inquiries, the full every single episode of Bizarre Inquiries, of course. And uh, there's a lot more cool stuff going on over there. Always trying to build and expand on that. So if you guys want to do with some a huge help, actually, you guys can go and join the Patreon. And uh, if anybody has any suggestions to improve the Patreon, I'm all ears and I would absolutely love to hear it in order to uh, accompany it more and bring more in that you guys would like to see. Um, and also with that, you don't just get Bizarre Encounters, you also get Inquiries of All Reality and, like I said, Bizarre Inquiries. So you get three shows, all for the price of one. Absolutely fantastic and it helps us out greatly and if anybody wants to donate to the show directly you guys can do so through red circle which is our rss host for the show makes it so that we can get out to more events be able to meet more of you guys be able to get new pockets of listeners and essentially just keep uh, expanding the show as much as we possibly can and uh, third, you guys can also go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, you'll find stuff for Bizarre Encounters, Increase All Reality, and any other cryptid designs that I start working into there. Uh, the goal is to hopefully drop at least a new design once a month, once every other month, depending on how everything kind of falls out. But there's always going to be new stuff over there if you guys want to go and check it out. And before you guys know it, I'm going to be dropping the uh, Bizarre Increase t-shirt over there, and you'll start seeing Bizarre Increase designs over on that side of everything too. And number four... You guys can uh, leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And uh, if you guys leave a five-star review, I will read it on the show and give you guys a big shout-out. Or you guys can also just share the show through word of mouth. If you think anybody would really enjoy our random bantering back and forth on bizarre topics, uh, or if you think anybody would just enjoy a specific episode, you guys can share it with them. And if you guys don't want to do any of that, we just appreciate that you guys are out there lis listening to the show and enjoying the show. And uh, if you want to, you guys can always uh, set the show to auto-download and make it so that even if you don't listen to every single episode, it'll count for one more up on that. And it'll uh, help out the algorithm to make it so that more people are able to see the show. And we want to give a big shout out and a thank you to our buddies Rick and Hans at I Know Squatch. Uh, thank you to them for sponsoring the show and hooking us up. Uh, Shane has a pretty sweet camouflage embroidered hoodie that they just dropped. Uh, so you guys definitely go check that out. You, you guys know we love their stuff, so definitely go show them some love. And if you guys are looking for anything else to support, check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He is killing it with his uh, alien and high strangeness and cryptid designs as always. And I know that he is in between convention season, so he's dropping a bunch of new stuff. So, guys, check out I Know Squatch for your Squatch gear. And for any other crypto you guys could possibly imagine, Crypto Theology is the way to go. And uh, beyond that, to all my uh, paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It is the all-in-one paranormal investigating device. 
I use it every single time that I go out. It's absolutely fantastic. And if you guys have any questions on it whatsoever, you guys can hit up Barry on Dimension Devices on Instagram. Uh, he is the guy that programs it, set it all up. He completely is the guy who single-handedly developed this piece of equipment that is absolutely fantastic. So again, if you guys have any technical questions, go and hit him up. He can answer any question that you guys might have. And if you guys decide to pick up a chatter, guys, don't forget to use our affiliate link because it greatly, greatly helps out the show. And all these uh, cool things we've mentioned for you guys today are listed in the show notes in the show description. Please welcome to the show, author and researcher, John Olson. How's it going today, man? Great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I've been excited to talk to you. Uh, Shane talked a lot about when you uh, were on Inquiry, so I've been excited to pick your brain a little bit and hear uh, some of your fun stories. Oh, awesome. Well, that's that's great. It was it was a lot of fun talking with Shane before. And like I said, I'm excited to talk to you guys. And it, it's just fun to talk paranormal and strange and weird all the time. So we're good. So considering all of your stories, theories, all the different stuff you collect, after doing our show, I, of course, figured that I need to bring Orn into the fold because he could probably bring it to a whole other different level of conversation. So it was definitely needed. I'm glad that you guys finally got to meet up. And I think this is going to be a really fun show, guys. So uh, I guess to start everything off... Uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with you and your work, John, I want you to let them know a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your work, and a little bit about your books. Yeah, so um, my name is John Olson, obviously, and um, I am the author of the Stranger Bridgerland book series. Uh, I currently have seven books with an eighth that will be coming out this year, and they're all full of um, true paranormal stories, uh, firsthand paranormal stories. I make sure I get them from the person that it happened to uh, in order for it to go in the book. Um, every book's got a, between 21 and 24 different stories in it. And I cover everything in the paranormal from ghosts to UFOs, glitches, the Fae, which is something I never thought I would actually get to, to do, but it's awesome to do. Um, cryptids, glitches in the Matrix, which is kind of some of my, the I really love those stories as well um and it's it's just it's fascinating to be able to hear everybody's stories i uh i got into the paranormal because i grew up in a home here in northern utah that was um it was built in 1883 which is really old especially for uh, the western united states and uh, it was very paranormally active i um as a kid i saw full body apparitions i saw I had footsteps going up and down the stairs to my bedroom. I had things move. I had tricks played on me, voices from other rooms that uh, didn't belong to anybody, and just all kinds of things like that. And um, when I was little, my parents didn't. I have an, uh, an older sister and a younger brother, and they, especially my dad, did not want us talking about the paranormal <laughs> or that our house is haunted. Because being from a small town, the two things you try and do in a small town when you're growing up is you love to gossip and avoid being gossip. And so you, they didn't want us to talk about it. So I really just dove in to learn everything I could and just got me really interested in the paranormal. And then by the time I was 17, I had had friends over to the house that had had their own experiences. And I had to admit, yeah, I grew up in a haunted house, and then everybody was like, John's got some cool stories. You know, John grew up in a haunted house, and so I would tell those stories, and I got good at storytelling. 
And then other people started bringing me their stories because they felt comfortable. And so by the time I was 17, which is like 30 years ago, I was collecting stories and writing them down. And um, I, got, I got married to um, my second wife, Annie, about eight years ago. And I just had a stack of stories and kind of had to explain to her what I kind of do. Um, it was kind of just a side gig kind of thing at the time, finding stories and learning everything. And she really helped me get started on the first story, uh, the first book, which was Stranger Bridgeland, which was mostly just from northern Utah, uh, southern Idaho, Wyoming area where I grew up. And after I published that, it, it kind of took off and I've been able to collect even more stories till finally this, the last one that I had come out in uh, August of last year, which was Stranger World. I had stories from Australia and Germany and England, from Brazil, all over the world. So it's, it's been really kind of an awesome journey for me, especially in the fact that I learned things from other countries and how the paranormal is really tied in with everybody. They might have a different name for something, mm -hmm. but it shows up everywhere, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, we talk about that on the show a lot, how, you know, language and issues of language and one group of people might call, you know, some entity or creature one thing and one group might call it something else, but we're all kind of at the end of the day talking about the same thing. So, you know, that kind of fits right in line with a lot of the conversations we have on the show and uh, kind of piggybacking off of that. I think it's really interesting that you started off kind of in your local area there in um, Utah and the greater Plains states because, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest and things like that. But it seems like, you know, Idaho, the Dakotas, that's not an area that a lot of people or at least myself associate with a lot of high strangeness. So I think it's really cool that you're kind of bringing more attention to the weirdness that goes on in places that uh, maybe are a little off the beaten path. Even keeping the local stories alive, because who knows how many of these stories would have been lost if you didn't end up collecting them, especially from the people that are like the firsthand encounterers that didn't really have anybody to tell besides possibly family. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what I really, I kind of like about it too. Um, the, the one thing that I think when I, when I interview people and I talk to them, uh, a lot of times they're just, it's almost like, especially people that have not, like you said, not shared it with a lot of people. It's almost like a weight off their shoulders when they can finally mm -hmm. get it written down somewhere and and other people can hear it. It's it's like I say, just a weight off their shoulders. I not too long ago I was interviewing a woman and um, she was telling me a story where she, when she was a little kid she grew up in a very abusive family and her dad would get drunk and she talked about this old woman that would actually come and get her and take her like kind of through the closet and hide with her and, and nobody else could see her. And, and she's telling me this and I'm, I'm recording and making notes and, and then she stops and she's like, she's like, do you, are you really listening to me? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and she started crying. She's like, everybody I've ever tried to tell this to tells me I'm crazy that it was, you know, just trauma. And, and so, you know, that was just a good example to me of how it can be just very therapeutic for some people to tell their story. Well, and that's something else we talk about on the show a lot. You know, this idea that 
especially like podcasts and now that people are more open-minded about the paranormal nowadays, I think a lot more people have had experiences than, you know, one would seem to think. And now people are just more comfortable sharing their stories and, you know, through the internet and podcasts and things like that. People are, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. There's a lot of people out there who are experiencing similar things. And like you said, I think it's it's very powerful, not only for the experiencers, but for, you know, people like us who talk to them. I mean, it seems like, too, right, that exactly. the point that we're kind of getting to, it, like, almost everybody has at least one paranormal story. Like, may, they may not necessarily have, like, UFO sightings, alien stories, cryptid sightings, any of that. But it seems like even even the most, like, average person has at least one paranormal story or one unexplained experience. And sometimes they don't actually, like, click two and two together until years later that they'll experience it. They'll kind of just play it off. And then years later, they'll be like, wait that didn't make any sense. And then it'll just pop in their head from hearing other paranormal stories. So, I mean, even sharing stories in general, I feel like helps to connect uh, loose ends for other people as far as like trying to explain experiences that they may have just pushed to the back of their head and not really knew where to quite file it at in their minds. Yeah. And the other thing too, right along with that, I, I totally agree. The other thing too, that I find is somebody will have an experience and it's so strange that they've, I mean, they've never heard anything like that before and they kind of keep it to themselves. And then they've read my book and seen that somebody's had a similar experience and they'll immediately contact me because they're like, I thought I was the only one. And sometimes it really opens up and turns into like a huge thing that I didn't, I, even in all my study, I'd never come across. So it's, I, this is great, like podcasts and like you say, people being open and opening up. It really helps people connect. And then it helps people who are researching and looking into things as well make the connections that, that they wouldn't have been able to make even, you know, what, 20 years ago or something. So. I know they keep saying that like the veil is thinning and that seems to be like most people's response as to why there seems to be like an upspike in paranormal events. But I often end up wondering if it's not so much that like the veil is necessarily thinning, but it's always been the same as it has been. It's just, again, that people are getting more comfortable and they're a little bit more open with these stories because people are actually discussing them and people aren't being called crazy for having these experiences anymore. It's kind of like a lot of like the Sasquatch stuff. Um, you know, people say that like the Dogman stuff didn't start popping up until like a couple of years ago. But I think that there was a lot more Dogman encounters than when people realized. But the people that had them in the past before they had like a name for it, they're just kind of writing them off as like Sasquatch experiences. And then just kind of it kind of get lost within like the folklore of stuff. So I'm kind of curious, like how many of these like older, uh, like aggressive Sasquatch stories may have actually been dogmen but they just didn't have something to like relate it to or call it a dogman like the closest thing they could relate it to was seeing a sasquatch because i mean they kind of they have somewhat of the same build it's like the face is different you know like the dogmen are a little bit smaller but if you didn't know any better you just saw this big hairy hominid looking thing running through the woods chasing you down like the first thing that you're going to associate it with of course is a sasquatch yeah exactly I, I i would agree with that too because the people that i've interviewed too um the, the difference kind of between, like you say, Sasquatch and the Dogmen is, is just how vicious sometimes the Dogmen are in, their, in the sightings and everything like that. And, and I would agree that um, there's, there's got to be times when people have said, well, it must have been a Sasquatch because they don't even understand that Dogmen is a real thing. Mm -hmm. and, um, but then, you know, if they think back and the facial features or something, they might be like, well, maybe that was something different, but... 
So, uh, John, kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, when you're going through your intro, it sounds like a lot of your areas of research are stuff that me and Shane discuss and you know touch on a lot in the show. Uh, the two that really stuck out to me was uh, the Fae, which uh, we talk about a lot and you know what that could possibly mean and possible connections. And the other one was kind of these uh, glitch in the matrix type situations. <laughs> so um, I was wondering yeah. if you wouldn't mind uh, maybe telling us some of your stories on whatever else you want to, but uh, maybe a couple on those two subjects. If you guys want, we could touch yeah. base on each of the, the main categories. And I, d I just want to point out, I think it's funny that the two that Oren said, like, that's how you know him and I think alike is because we have the same interests as far as we dig into stuff. So that was like the exact two that I knew he was about to say. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So um, some of the, you know, when I first started this and first started collecting stories and the vast majority of them were ghosts and Sasquatch and UFOs. And even at the time, you know, I never thought that um, I would ever get a Faye story because even when I was, you know, first starting out, like a lot of people, I thought that it fell under strictly folklore kind of a thing. But what was amazing to me was, it's, you know, the first couple that I got, uh, the first one I got in particular, there was uh, this lady that I had interviewed and back in, I don't have my notes in front of me, but um, in the, I believe it was the 70s, her and her husband, they lived in Salt Lake City, but they went to the Uintas a lot, um, hiking and camping. And and one night they were up in the Uintas um, and uh, they were camping by this little lake and the they were all alone in the valley. And the first night um, she woke up to this, this crying noise um, coming from towards the lake. And um, she was really weirded out, and her husband. She woke her husband up, and and he's like, "Well, it really sounds like a mountain lion or something like that, because they can sound very similar to a crying sound like that." And um, it it stopped, and so they went back to bed, and then the, the next day they hiked and everything, and then the very next night she woke up and it was happening again at the lake, this crying sound. And it didn't stop. And so her and her husband got the flashlight. They just had a really old flashlight, uh, didn't have a great beam on it. And they were making their way down towards the lake. And uh, when they got there and they shined the light, here is this little, it, the best way to explain it would be a miniature mermaid type baby lizard thing, okay? <laughs> the head kind of looked like a baby and had arms, but then it had a tail like like a mermaid. And it and it jumped into the water and disappeared. And she was in just in shock. And they left. But um uh when I was interviewing her and talking to her, I explained to her that in the Uintas in particular, the Native Americans, the the um the Ute Indians and stuff have a legend of what are called water babies. I can't say the native name because I screw it up really bad, but they lay at the edge of the water, almost like um, there's, they have very similar things in, um, in Ireland and, and Scotland of these things that, that lure people to the water and drown them. Um, the water babies can sound like, you know, a baby to entice the women down or, um, they've been known to mimic um, the voice of a woman to to lure the um, the warriors or the the Native American man down and drown them. And uh, when I explained that to her after I, I interviewed her, she was kind of like, "Well, that makes sense," but she still 
had a hard time connecting that. You know what I mean? It's a hard, mm-hmm. it was really hard for her to, to come to terms with what she really saw. She was still trying to come up with a, a different explanation, but it really didn't work. But that was one that um, I was really excited to get because I had actually read a lot about the Native American um, water babies and it was, though that was really kind of a cool story to get. So I don't think I've ever actually heard a water baby story before. So that that's awesome. I've never heard of like a firsthand encounter. Usually it's like folklore stories. Right. Yep. And that's what I thought too. Um, but she was very genuine when I was talking to her. So I was impressed. So. Well, uh, kind of an idea that we've kicked around before is, uh, or, you know, I guess I've kind of thrown it out there, but, um, you know, I certainly think that there are extraterrestrials. I certainly think that they have visited our planet in the past, but I think a lot of those visits are kind of rare and few and far between. And I think a lot of what people chalk up to maybe the paranormal and alien visitations could be, you know, this third other outside force beside humans and extraterrestrials that maybe the Fae falls into um and that you know it kind of gets back to john keel ideas like ultra terrestrials and things like that is that anything you've come across in your research that you know maybe the fey could be kind of this uh you know catch-all for a lot of the paranormal and people just don't know what to call it sometimes i'm I have found, especially with the number of people that I've interviewed who had experiences in the wilderness, um, I I believe that there is doorways out there mm-hmm. that things come and go all the time. I, I that's what I really believe because of the number of people that I've interviewed that have had experiences with creatures or things and them disappearing or even you know seeming to go through you know um, doorways or step through um for example um i interviewed a gentleman who had been hiking um he was new to the area and he was hiking this place it's called smithfield canyon and it was getting later and um he was going through and he found these uh, cement stairs which were really weird that just kept going up the mountain and he's like well i want to see where these go and so he got on the stairs and started following them up and it just seemed to get really late and his light was failing. He's, and from where he was, he should have been able to see into the valley and see all the lights, but he couldn't see anything in the valley and there was no clouds or anything. And so he finally, he just started getting really creeped out and finally came back and went back the way he had come most of the way and then cut across um, and went through this little patch of trees. And when he did, all of a sudden, the city lights from the valley, he could see everything again. And um, by his time, it should have been like two o'clock in the morning, he said. He said he'd been wandering that long. Um, But when he got back to his truck, he'd only been gone 45 minutes. (laughs) But in his mind, he was wandering for a good four or five hours. And it really freaked him out. And then later he went back because he, he knew exactly the area. And he went back and he's never been able, like he said, for 10 years I went back and I was never able to find this, those cement stairs again. <laughs> and, um, and it's interesting because I've heard secondhand stories of other people 
who have come across those stairs um, in, in that canyon. And I've tried desperately to hunt down another first-person story from it. But it's, it's something like that makes me wonder if there isn't doorways out there that you can accidentally or, you know, go through. And that the Fae very well may be extra-dimensional creatures that come and go through that. And especially if you're a very grounded person and you see something like the Fae... It can be a very shocking situation to people because it just kind of blows your your belief system out of you know out of there. So um, I'm sure there's a. I, in fact, I, I would guarantee that there is a lot more people that have seen the Fey or Fey creatures that have absolutely kept that to themselves because mm-hmm. people it's they're they're afraid that people will think they're they're crazy basically. Especially if you can't go back and actually find the location itself. And I mean, part of the theory that I've kind of thrown on in on this one a few times in the show is this like microscopic uh, wormhole idea that there might be little pinprick wormholes all over reality. And sometimes they expand and contract continuously. So sometimes they're open where you can like fully go into them. You like walk into somewhere else without even realizing it. Then other times they close up. So it's like if they're constantly fluctuating, they're only accessible sometimes. And it seems to be that way with a lot of like the face stuff. And I mean, kind of going into like the whole time dilation concept, as far as the Fae goes, if you're walking through like a wormhole, which is, you know, essentially kind of in the same idea as like a black hole, you know, they, they say that like time itself would like fluctuate going through it. So I wonder if that's part of it too, is that it's like when you pass through and then you come back, if it like dilutes time back and forth that, you know, time extends when you go in and then when you come back, it recontracts back. And then that's why it seems like you were walking around for a couple hours and then you're only gone for a couple minutes at a time. Yeah, yeah, that would make a lot of sense too. Um, the the time dilation through those, and um, especially this idea too that um, you may have to, you may not be able to see it, and you if you go through it at a, you you have to be at an exact angle or something to go through it properly, and then there's maybe there's only so many people who have been lucky enough to come back out those that have stumbled into it because. You've got a lot of, like, again, a lot of missing people with that uh, missing 411 and all of that stuff. You just, it makes you wonder uh, what's going on for sure. I mean, diving into like the time slip concept with that one too. I mean, I kind of wonder if like timelines theoretically like want to correct themselves, but sometimes they don't because you'll hear even those like t- weird time stories where, you know, somebody will like go to sleep and wake up and then their dog will be a different breed and they'll swear that it was another breed. And then the people around them are like, no, like you've always had a beagle. It's never been a husky. What are you talking about? And then there's other people that will have those experiences. They'll be there for like a day and then they'll wake up the next day and everything will be back to normal again. So like, I'm curious if timelines theoretically want to correct themselves, but sometimes if you just get too far into the other lo- other timeline, there's not like that tether back to your timeline that will like pull you back. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned that because I have, I have a story. It's actually going to be in my new book. Um, so I haven't, you know, I've just done the interview and I haven't pounded out the, in the complete story, but I interviewed this gentleman and at the time he was in Salt Lake. So my next book is going to be called Stranger Utah. I'm just kind of coming back to Utah because I had quite a few stories from here, but he was in Salt Lake um, and he was staying in a motel hotel kind of thing. And when he woke up in the morning, the room, there were no electricity worked in the room. The room seemed a little different than when he went to bed. It seemed dirtier than when, I mean, he got in late, but he thought it seemed dirty. And he walked out onto basically the front, walked through the front door 
and it's one it was one of those like motels where you just walk right outside rather than to a lobby and there's just smoke in the air and just weird things going on and he walked down and to the edge of the street and both ways like the cars are overturned and burned up and it's just like a post-apocalyptic world and so he's freaking out he goes back to his room to get his stuff he's still trying to figure out what's going on he's like his cell phone is everything is um still in his room and he goes back to his room he walks into the room and it's the same room that he walked into the that night before and he turned around and now everything is back to normal on the street the parking lot everything outside is back to normal after he walked back into the room but He's like, he's like, when I tell my friends, they're all like, well, you were, you were sleepwalking, you were dreaming, whatever. And he goes, I'm telling you, I could smell the smoke. I could feel the humidity in the air that was weird. There were no people. It was just this just hellscape um, all over. But when I walked back into the room, it went back to normal. He's like it. He, and he had never had anything paranormal happen to him like ever in fact he said a lot of several times he thought most of it was you know hokey and you know, growing up he thought it was all but it, he said that experience really kind of changed him a little bit uh, on the idea of what's possible in the world but um, he says he kept he kept saying i promise i i I did pot when I was in college, but I'd never done any drugs. And <laughs> I swear I wasn't drunk. I wasn't on drugs or anything. I thought it was funny. But that was kind of a cool one, too, because it was some sort of just weird, like you say, maybe stepping into one of those parallel worlds that we're so close to that some people walk into. Um, it, it's, it's strange. That's one of those ones, too, that like it kind of makes you curious if it's, one, a separate timeline that something else happened in, or two, if it might be like a premonition of like the future. But even theoretically, if it's a premonition of the future, one thing that I've kind of thrown as far as like the people that predict the future is that if timelines could theoretically constantly be changing, and if you take in like the Mandela uh, effect into consideration, that it seems like there's like this weird bounce back and forth that everybody seems to be doing between timelines, it kind of makes you curious if a lot of these people from the past may not have necessarily been wrong about their premonitions of the future, but rather that we jump to a different timeline or you get into that whole like butterfly effect that if you see the future and you tell people about the future, then it prevents the future happening in that way because then there's other things set in motion that work against that future happening. But if it's something post-apocalyptic, yes. it almost sounds like a, like it might've been like a meteor event or something. So again, you know, slightly different timeline or something changes a little bit, you know, the difference between like being this close to actually hitting the planet and actually hitting the planet. Like I know we have constant stuff going through our solar system that, you know, we have like little things that'll hit the earth all the time, but the big stuff, we always seem to like perfectly miss it. But you know, if it was like a certain time of year or we're in a certain location or whatever, or, like the earth maybe moves a little bit slower sometimes than other times as time fluctuates, it makes you wonder like how many of these things could have theoretically been right if we were like in that exact time and placement of when these people were seeing things like this. Yeah, exactly. And and how many times, I mean, I'm obviously a little bit older than you guys, but I look back and there are times where in my life where if I had left work a little earlier or a little later, I might not be here, you know? And so like you say, that butterfly effect, there's just little things that, um, that can alter 
your life completely and who knows like with the entire timeline i guess you could say but i'm a big fan of sci-fi too um so i just love the whole idea of time travel and i don't know if you guys ever read um the the stuff about uh john teeter that went through with um with uh, art bell way back in the day and um, he claimed to be a time traveler that contacted art bell and sent him pictures of his time machine and everything but at the end he was like but i'm sure everything that i know is the future isn't going to be your future because i've changed things which is <laughs> kind of a cop-out but still it's, it's an interesting concept but See, I wonder if timelines aren't necessarily like how most people perceive them as being like a straight line, but rather more of like a spider web that depending on every like little intricate thing, it changes paths continuously, constantly. And that like a timeline could theoretically be a web, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everything on that timeline is going to happen. It kind of depends on where the marker moves on that timeline as it perceives through the timeline. Yeah, exactly. Um, And if you get really meta about it, if we truly have free will, then it would have to spider out because it can't be set if you actually have free will. Because who knows what I'm going to do an hour from now if I have free will. But again, that gets really meta really quick. So, Well, kind of piggybacking off of that, I think that's a perfect segue into some of these kind of glitch in the matrix type situations and you know this is a a subject that we've started diving into more recently and um, I've started doing a little bit of research on my own so I'm uh, definitely excited to hear some of your stories and some of your opinions if you wouldn't mind sharing yeah no not at all um they're they're kind of my favorite stories too because they kind of lie outside of the realm of everything else um one that uh, was one of the first ones I actually I got Um, I interviewed a a gentleman and he had been a student at Utah State University up here. And when he was a student, um, it was springtime. They were getting done, getting close to doing finals. And so he wanted to study um, for his finals, but it was a really nice day. So he loaded up his bike and went up onto campus um, in front of this old building. It's called um, Old Main on USU's campus. And he, he just put out a blanket and started studying studying his book and he was really into his his study when he noticed there was a shadow that came over him and he looked up and immediately went into shock because he was looking into his own face um there was a guy standing there he looked just like him he had his bike um the other guy was shocked too the only difference which i found really weird is um he is the the guy, and I can't remember his name at the moment. I apologize, but he's a huge uh, Seattle Seahawks fan. And the other guy, the other him, is wearing a Seattle Seahawks hat, but it has different colors. It's uh, it's orange and and something else, and so it's the, really close to the same symbol, but but different colors. And they're both in shock. They're like three, four feet from each other. And he goes to say something, and the guy jumps on his bike and takes off. So he grabs his bike and takes off after him. Well, this guy went down and turned the corner by the building, and when he got there, he was gone. Nowhere to be found. Um, And so that was one where he was like, did I see an alternate universe me, or was it something pretending to be me? Because I I have a lot of doppelgangers 
um, stories um, that I've collected. But that really doesn't feel like a doppelganger, even though the guy looked just like him. Um, a lot of time, the doppelgangers are are really mean, and they seem to be more of a a, a malevolent thing trying to get people mm-hmm. or to do things that they're not supposed to. Or, um, but yeah, it was so it was just really strange. And he said it was the same bike. He was wearing the same clothes, except for the hat was a different color and he said that guy seemed just as shocked to see me as i did to see him and he freaked off and and drove off with his bike so um then in fact i think that was one of my very first um glitches in the matrix stories (laughs) and it's kind of blows my mind makes me wonder what it it was that he saw that day yeah it almost sounds kind of like maybe two timelines, dimensions, whatever you want to call them, you know, intersecting or bleeding together or however you want to word it at this certain point. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me too. And like I said, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people who've had doppelganger experiences, but that didn't feel like a, do- mm-hmm. it's hard to explain, but yeah, it definitely feels more like um, an intersection of no, I, I totally agree with you because um, I'm not super familiar with a lot of these doppelganger stories, but it seems like how that could be something that like a malevolent entity would use as a mask to, you know, get its will accomplished. But something like right. this seems much more benign than that. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, with the fact does. of him disappearing around a corner, it seems like it might have been either there was that that was maybe where the time slip was to begin with. Or theoretically, he wasn't that far into this reality where his timeline ended up correcting itself and pulling him back into the other reality. Yeah. And I like to think that somewhere in another reality, another one of me interviewed the other guy who was like, man, I was riding on campus and there was this really strange guy that looked just like me and I took off on my bike. (laughs) Well, what I thought was kind of interesting, too, about uh, you saying the, you know, the other guy version of the guy went around the corner and disappeared is that's really similar to a lot of like men in black stories is you know people chase these men in black down and they just turn a corner and they're gone so that you know kind of leads me to wonder if a lot of these men in black encounter you know because people talk about how they're very robotic or you know not quite human uh almost makes me wonder if something similar could be going on in a lot of those instances right Gotcha. That very well could be too. Something, something, something definitely off and weird that he was able to disappear like that and obviously made it hopefully back to where he came from. <laughs> but yeah, definitely weird. So I'd love to dive more into these glitch stories, but at this point, I definitely want to dive into a couple of the doppelganger stories because I don't think that's anything that we've actually covered on the show. And just kind of like jumping off of like your theory and what you're saying is, I often wonder if one there is the possibility of there being somebody else that has a similar genetic coding as you possibly that they look a lot like you, but aren't necessarily you, or if it's the whole concept that everything has duality. So, you know, there's a good version and then there's like the bad version of you, which would be like the more like uh, malevolent ones. Or if the third option is that it's something that is wearing the mask of you 
in order to like manipulate you or try to get you to follow it. Cause that seems to be a common thing along folklore, of course, is that they want to get you to follow it. So if somebody looks exactly like you, anybody's first instinct is going to be, even if you're staying, keeping your distance, like you're going to end up following it to figure out what's going on with it. If it looks exactly like you, you're going to try to get a picture or see where it goes. But yeah, I'd love to dive into some of these uh, doppelganger stories and bounce around some theories as far as they go. So I, I have a quick little story to bring into this because it was funny. Um, when I was, when I was uh, just out of college, um, I got a call from my mom and she's like, have you been robbing banks? And I'm like, uh, no, I have not been robbing banks. And she's like, you got to look in the paper. And I looked in the paper. It was here in Cash Valley. And some guy had been robbing banks and they had finally had a picture and it looked just like me. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to get arrested. Um <laughs> But what's funny is they, they did catch the guy. Um, he, he was uh, an, another university student, and he did look a lot like me. Not exactly, but it was enough to make me go, oh, no, I don't want to go out today because I'm going to get arrested. But um, one, one doppelganger story that I had in my last book, which is really kind of creepy. So um, it was a little gal. Um, well, she, when she was little, I think she was around um, – 11 she lived in the northeast and i can't remember exactly where but um it was around halloween and she'd come from home from school and um you know she did her homework and had dinner with her family and then went to bed and around two o'clock one two o'clock in the morning she got up and she had to use the restroom so she she come down the hallway and her parents have a bathroom off of their bedroom but she didn't want to wake up her mom and dad and the other one you had to walk through the front room and the front room was kind of it was um like an open space where you had the the front room that flowed kind of into a small dining room and then the kitchen and her mom is sitting on the couch when she walks in in the dark and she was like oh and and she's like well i'll talk to mom after i go to the bathroom so she goes to the bathroom comes out and her mom's on the couch just staring and she's like mom you know are you okay and mom looks at her with just this mean look and just growls at her, which was weird. And she says it was super weird because my mother's the nicest person in the world. And she gets up and walks into the kitchen and opens the door to the back, the back uh, way and growls at her again and goes out the door. And she, she, she starts crying. She's really upset. And she's like, I got to go tell dad. Maybe she's, walking in her sleep, something. And she runs into her, her mom and dad's bedroom and uh, both her mom and dad are in bed and they both wake up and they're like, what's going on? What's the matter? And then she bursts into tears because it wasn't her mom, but it was, it looked just like her mom. And she tells, tells her parents what happened and her dad runs out and, and runs out the back and, and can't find anybody. But um, that, it really threw her... <laughs> you know, into a, a fit and especially being a little kid. And for a long time, her parents tried to tell her she was just having again, a dream or, or something, but she remembers it very vividly. And in fact, till she moved out, she said she never left her bedroom at night <laughs> for a long time. She slept with her mom and dad, but then didn't, but that was one too. It was very kind of a, a mean entity that was, or whatever it was that was mimicking her mother and, and just, very violent, but it was physical enough to open the door. So, you know, it makes you wonder what kind of, what it was kind of a thing. See, there's a lot of stories that I've heard at least from people that'll grow up in like 
haunted houses or like houses that have some like some kind of poltergeist activity to it. And assumably, you know, most of the time you'd see people that were already passed away. But I've heard a good handful of stories where it'll be people that are still alive. People are even living in the house where just stuff like that. There'll be something like they'll do something really creepy, something really, really weird. And then they'll just take off and the person will go to like alarm or tell the other people in the house and they'll realize that that person's still sleeping or that person's like sitting in their bedroom doing something else. Like uh, I know that at least on inquiries, like once or twice, I've had people that have grown up in like houses with really, really heavy activity. And that's been a commonality between them. So just out of curiosity too, kind of lending off of that, um, that person, have they shared any other possible stories of seeing other family members within that house? Or was that the only time they'd ever experienced that? That was the only time they ever experienced that. Um, one thing that happened to me a lot along those lines is um, the fact that the the ghost or whatever it was that I grew up in uh, would mimic my parents' voice and call me to the kitchen, and I would go in and nobody would be there. In fact, I mean, it wasn't, oh, I want to say 10 years ago. My parents still live in the same house, and I was going to pick up my son from school, but I was early, so I stopped at my parents to say hi. And they weren't home. So I just went into the front room and I had a book with me and I started reading and I heard the back door open and I heard my dad call out, Hey, we're home. And so I got up and went into the kitchen. Nobody's there. Nobody's in the driveway. So I go back and, and start reading again. Same thing. Voice. Do I hear the door open, close? I hear my dad call, Hey, we're home. Go in there. Nothing. And I look out the window, nothing, no car in the driveway. And at that point I hear a, a laugh behind me. Kind of not sinister, but kind of a ha ha, I got you kind of a mm -hmm. night. And I said, ah, you got me again. And I went into the front room and started reading again. And then I heard the door open and my dad call. And I just sat there. I was like, I was not going to bite this time. And then my dad finally, he walked in and he's like, didn't you hear me call you? And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't think it was you. And he's like, what? And then I explained, to him, oh, yeah. So, so that had happened, several, you know, it happened to me a lot. It happened to my son as well, my oldest, who the, the ghost always loved to play pranks on him. But one day um, I was coaching his little league football team and we had to run over and check on some things at mom and dad, my parents' house, because they were on vacation. And um, I had to run to the store. And so I dropped the boys off, um, my son and, and three of his friends, and they went in and uh, into the house and they just grabbed a bag of chips and ran into the front room and turned on the TV and started watching TV. But when I came back, they were all on the front porch. Like, and what had happened is they'd gone in and they were sitting on the couch and um, they heard um, my mother's voice uh, calling Cody and he stopped. And then he heard, they heard it again. It was closer and they're like, dude, your grandma's calling you. And he's like, grandma's on vacation. <laughs> and then they began, and then they all took off, like just out of the house. Um, and I went in and obviously checked, you know, nothing was around, but scared the crap out of those three boys for sure. And he's like, yeah, my, my grandparents' house is haunted. But they so still, I, I know those three boys, and they still talk about that to today. So. No, I think that's a really interesting story, and we've come across this a lot with uh, guests and, you know, our own research of this idea of uh, the phenomenon, whatever you want to call it, being able to mimic, you know, sounds and people's voices and things of that nature, and, you know, 
kind of bringing it all back around, that also makes me wonder if a lot of this, you know, mimicking could be tied into the Fae and, you know, luring people into the fairy world and things of that nature. You know, like we say on the show a lot, uh, you don't have to dig very far below the surface until you start seeing, you know, kind of the connections between things. So I think, you know, something like that, that a lot of people, you know, on the surface level might see is just ghost poltergeist activity. If you dig a little bit below the surface, you know, there's a whole lot of other connections to other things potentially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, it's, it's really, you know, what's fascinating to me is, um, just like everybody that you meet and all of your friends have kind of a different temperament, um, ghosts or entities can all have different temperaments, if that makes sense. And a lot of people, especially researchers that I meet, love to throw everything into either good or bad pile. And I think there's a spectrum in there, honestly, Mm -hmm. because when I've helped people um, who say, Oh, you know, I think I have a ghost in my house and, and, you know, I, so I go talk to them, we go through some different stuff. And a lot of times I can, I can, you know, write it off as, okay, well, it's actually this that you're hearing or, you know, something natural. But when it is actually say a ghost, Um, What I usually tell people is if you walk down the street and you meet 10 people, nine out of those 10 people are going to be really nice people that may accidentally do something to you. It's that 10th person. It's a real a-hole that you got to look out for. And it's the same in the paranormal world, especially Mm -hmm. if you are an a-hole in life, you're going to be an a-hole in the afterlife. And so those are the ones you have to really look out for. See, it kind of makes me wonder, too, if it might also just be misunderstanding sometimes that like if you're on the other side and you ain't got nothing to do, of course, you're going to have to like find some way to entertain yourself. So, I mean, like, you know, if stuff's moving in a house, you're hearing ominous voices, but there's not any like physical like people getting scratched or anything like that. Like, it makes me wonder if, again, if it's not necessarily like a evil ghost or like a dark ghost, but rather just a bored ghost that's looking for a way to entertain itself and going back into like the whole ominous voice concept too, uh, we talk about pitch and frequency like a lot when it comes to in vibration, when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So it kind of makes me wonder if one, when people hear these ominous voices, if maybe it's residual just because something's been said in that area so many times, maybe there's like a wall that when you like push out a vibration, sometimes it bounces back. Other times it'll just kind of t- side tear off somewhere else, kind of like refracting light, but sometimes it'll come straight back and you might hear that voice. Or even just on another weird side of stuff, getting into these whole like goats just trying to have fun and prank people, essentially, Um, you know, if if they're not necessarily like physical, like we're physical, we can't change our vocal cords because it's physically in our body. But if you're something that's malleable and you're not physical and you can contort your shape, you can contort everything about yourself. The same could be said theoretically for your vocal cords. So you can make yourself sound like anybody by contorting your vocal cords to be shorter, be taller, depending on like how you are showing yourself at that time. Because again, getting into like the amorphous ghost idea, sometimes they show themselves big, sometimes they'll be really small. Sometimes they'll be kind of billowy and like blown out. So it kind of makes you wonder if like the same could be said that if they are able to make themselves malleable like that, they could like stretch their neck a little bit longer and then their voice would sound a little bit higher or put a little bit lower and then their voice sound a little bit lower. And they just had this ability to manipulate their vocal cords uh, because again, they aren't necessarily like physical. Yeah, I I agree. And, And going back to your, you know, your first thought in that, um, I know that 
especially at least one or two of the ghosts, at least one uh, in the house that I grew up in, there was nothing malevolent or evil about it, but definitely loved to play pranks, especially if he knew, if he knows that bothers you. Um, so, you know, like you say, I think maybe it's a bored thing or maybe it's not. And, and right along that same kind of thing, I know that when you're dealing with something that is actually evil, they like to mimic little children and, and innocent and pure things kind of as a mockery or to draw you in kind of a thing. Um, so it, like you say, it's a huge spectrum out there and, and they can change their vocal cords. I'm sure they can change, you know, pitch tone or whatever they need to, to get out of you what they want. So. Yeah. So uh, to me, that sounds a whole lot like, you know, kind of trickster type entities um, where a lot of people report things, you know, like their hairbrush goes missing and they find it in the refrigerator or, you know, the salt ends up in the pepper shaker and the peppers and the salt shaker, not necessarily, you know, scary things, but just uh, like you said, like pranks almost. And they're just um, kind of entertaining themselves. And uh, we just did a episode recently on the uh, Hopkinsville goblin situation. And, um, something that I came across in my research is one of the main eyewitnesses said, you know, these things didn't seem like they were intending harm or, or malevolent or anything. They were kind of just playful and, you know, messing around with these people. So I almost wonder, you know, again, kind of connections, bringing everything full circle. If a lot of this stuff is just this, you know, other force that's here on the planet that we keep interacting with. And like you said, it's a spectrum. There's just like people, there's some good people, there's some neutral people and there's some bad people. And we're just, you know, interacting with these forces that manifest in different ways. Man, if I was a ghost yeah. all day, if somebody had Coke and Pepsi in their fridge, I would just swap them. <laughs> then just sit back and laugh. You just go to drink your Pepsi and be like, why does it taste like Coke? And you just hear this ominous co laughing in the background. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Uh, yeah, I think I definitely would be playing tricks on the, I love to tease my kids. I've always been that kind of guy and that kind of uncle that plays a little prank. So I'd be the same thing. So even just like sliding a cup across the counter, just like little subtle things just to mess with people and also possibly right. just to China, like see if you're able to do it because, you know, having these abilities on the paranormal side, it seems like they kind of strengthen like the longer that a, that a ghost is around or depending on what the experiences are. So maybe it's kind of like a muscle in the extent that you have to work out your abilities or figure out your abilities in order to keep them working. So like if you're a ghost that doesn't ever learn how to move an object, then you're never going to have any like power, so to speak, where if you're constantly trying to like figure out how to manipulate physical reality and like move it around, then of course you'll like become a stronger ghost. So some of it may not necessarily be quote like, pranking but rather that they're trying to figure out how to use their abilities and maybe that cup getting shifted a couple inches to the side is almost like them just trying to be like all right i'm gonna try to move that object but i gotta keep working at it <laughs> yeah and 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 another thing too you know just like um there are people who are more sensitive um to you know spirits and everything like that and that's also a spectrum from people who may see them a lot and some that may never see them because they're not in tune to that. Perhaps on the other side, that's also a gift. Like some people are 
Some spirits are really great at being able to connect with the living and some aren't can't even see through the veil or something. You just never know. And, but it's, it's cool. One thing I thought of too, um, is one thing that I would do if I was a ghost is like pick one person in the house. And then whenever everybody else left, that's when I would move the cup. Like <laughs> not when anybody else was there, only when that one person was there so that they thought, they were like, I'm not crazy. And they're like, we've never seen anything. And, everybody walks out and you're like "Mm." (laughs) well it seems like that's something we kind of do see in a lot of these you know poltergeist story like uh you know a lot of times this activity's centered around like pubescent or younger girls they say and you know i've heard speculation it's you know they're in a liminal state and you know these liminal states just kind of inherently lend themselves to more high strangeness type activity. So I think that's really funny. You pointed that out. Maybe that's exactly what they're doing. Hey, I mean, you get the best reaction out of teenage and younger girls. It's the same for like haunted houses. Who do they pick on the most because they get the best reaction out of them? Like, of course the ghost is going to pick the person that gets the most bothered by it and has the best reaction because otherwise it's not as much fun. Like half of what's fun about pranking and messing with people is their reactions more so than anything. And if it's somebody that's just going to walk past and not pay attention to it, there's no fun in that. You want somebody that you're going to move a cup an inch and they're gonna freak out and scream and go tell everybody (laughs) yep that's exactly right (laughs) that's awesome so uh starting to get towards the end before we uh run out of time i want to be able to touch base on a little bit of each of the topics and it seems like the only two that we haven't actually hit yet if you have stories for both of them is a possible ufo slash extraterrestrials and uh cryptids so i guess with a little bit of time we have left if you have a story from each of those categories that'd be absolutely awesome yeah, so one of, one of my favorite um, UFO ones that I collected um, was from a gentleman and him and his buddy, again, the Uinta Mountains here in, um, in Utah. They would go up all the time and spend all their weekends in the summer uh, going up in the mountains. And basically what they were looking for was um, just different, like, uh, there were a lot of... Um, gold caches put up in there by the Spanish. And so a lot of people back, you know, in the day and even now love to go up and and hunt for those, but they would go up and and spend a lot of time uh, camping and they'd hiked up into this area. And this was back in the seventies, I believe. And they'd hiked way up into this area and set up camp and um, they'd just gone to bed and he, he got, he got woken up by his buddy and saying, there's lights down by the lake, the little lake area there. And, and they thought they were all alone. So they get up and they walk down there and sitting down there in this area is uh, what looks like one of those Airstream silver trailers, a little Airstream silver trailer. And there's windows and they can see people moving in the windows and they can't see the truck or anything that they pulled it up. But they're like, ah, you know, somebody's built a road up here. And they were really kind of bummed because they thought they'd have spent hours and hours hiking in and uh, the door opened or was open actually and this tall silhouetted creature w- person comes to the door and they couldn't see any features because it was so bright inside and uh, they're like let's go to bed we'll we'll go talk to him in the morning and find out where this road is and so they both went to bed and they just gotten into bed and the light all the lights went out and it was dark again and the next morning they hike down there and there isn't a road. And the only thing down there is impressions in the um, sagebrush, like four big impressions in the sagebrush. And about then it hits him that 
it, it must have been a UFO that landed and they didn't see it come in or go, but they actually saw the occupants, which which is part of what makes it one of my favorites because it's one of the only ones that I've ever gotten where somebody's actually seen the occupants and it was on the ground kind of a thing. So and I, I, I really just, I kind of like that story because there's a lot of UFO stuff. It's not that far from Skinwalker Ranch, the Uinta Mountains, so... No, that's exactly what I was going to say. In the Hunt for the Skinwalker book, there's a very similar account of, you know, they were uh, trying to observe lights in the sky one night and they saw what they described as a camper, you know, exact same story coming over the ridge. They thought it was a camper and then, you know, it started flying at them and then they figured out it was probably a UFO. So that's the exact story I was going to reference. So that's really cool. I I think I do. That's... I've read that one, Hunt for the Skinwalker, um, I think is what it's called, that book. The, mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And that one. And and so, yeah, I really like that book, too. And I do remember vaguely that one, too. Something about the wife seeing him, too, out the window or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same yeah. type deal. Yeah, same same you know, kind of a deal. Yeah, where windows, they were on ground. Tall beings. Yeah, yeah all of yeah, it. All of it. That's cool. Yeah. I, I. It's funny. I've read that before, but I had never made that connection But because I knew there's a lot of different UFO stuff going on there. But when you say that... I do remember reading that story now, but yeah. Yeah, just when you said camper, you know, airstream camper, it just yeah. you know jogged my memory well, of it. So very yeah. cool. Thank you. What was the true inspiration yeah. of the airstream? That's the real question. <laughs> right. That's, and they're making them again, so mm-hmm. you never know. <laughs> you gotta cover up the phenomenon so people just think they're campers. But if there's no airstreams around, then everybody's gonna think be like, Oh, that's a UFO. <laughs> it's a UFO. That's true. Um and then uh cryptid or Bigfoot. Um, one of the stories that I really like because um, it's it's different than a lot of the other ones. Um, I, I interviewed a gal, and her and her husband were in the mountains, and um, it's up here in the cache. And what's funny is I've interviewed a ton of people who've had experiences that don't know each other and haven't shared their experiences, but I can do I can draw about a, maybe a five mile circle. And they all happen within this area, which is kind of cool. But uh, her and her husband were, it was getting dusk and they were in there side by side going through. And they come into an opening and there's a guy standing next to the pine trees. And she's like, and she remembers seeing him and she's thinking, well, that's really weird because he's in all dark clothes. And, um, and she said, but it was, he was only a normal size, maybe five, 10 tops. But, when we slowed down, he jumped into the pine tree and immediately shot to the top of it, climbed to the top of the pine tree where they could only see him peek around every once in a while to look at them. And at that point, they both knew this wasn't a guy, what, you know, and um, then they're realizing kind of looking that it, it's, it's not a suit. It's like, it's not black clothes. It's, it's hair. And um, so they were watching it until it started getting really dark. And then they both thought, if this is a juvenile, some maybe there's something else around here. And they got freaked out and left. But uh, like I said, I kind of like that story because it, it seems to have been a juvenile, um, only about five feet tall. And the way it shot to the top of that pine tree, climbed to the top of the pine tree, kind of like a baby bear does when it's, in trouble they all climbed to the, climbed the nearest tree and um, i thought that was really kind of fascinating 
that's something that I've always kind of wondered is Sasquatch being in trees. And assumably if people want to, you know, kind of get into the more of like the ape side of Sasquatch, assumably they would have some type of like climbing ability. But talking about like deterring away from things, most of the time people will see like bigger Sasquatch on the ground, like moving away from areas. And I've often talked about people finding footprints and then not leading towards where they're going, but rather they do it away from like where their home base is so that people will follow the trail going out that way. So if there's ever anything where somebody comes across like a mother and babies or like a family of Sasquatch, I often wonder if it's one of those things that like the females and the babies will possibly go up into the trees and then the male will take off in another direction, hoping to deter anybody away from them. It's kind of like a lot with, with a lot of animals, like even birds, for example, that like the males will have the bright colors because if any danger comes, the female can hide with the babies and the male can go, Hey, look at me, look at me and take off this way and get him away from the family and protect the family. Yeah. There's a, there's a bird called the killdeer and their nest is on the ground and the females, if something comes around, um, I've seen this a lot when I've walked by, they will actually drop a wing and pretend like their wing is broken and, and kind of flutter and, and hop on the ground and run away from the nest as quickly as they can to get the predator to follow them. And then once they're far enough away, they, they'll take off and fly. But it's kind of the same kind of thing. I think that happens quite a bit in nature uh, with things, especially birds that have nests on the ground Oh yeah. So, uh, starting to kind of wrap up towards the end and we definitely have to have you back on because just like on inquiries, man, I don't think we touched any of the same stories and you still have a plethora of a lot more. So we'll definitely have to have you come back on and share a bunch more stories. But, uh, as for right now, um, of course your books, people would absolutely love to pick them up to pick up more of these stories. Uh, so why don't you let them know one, uh, about each of your books, where they can find them at. And if anybody possibly has some stories that they want to share with you or just get in contact with you or follow your pages, uh, where they can come and find you the internet and where they can contact you at yeah so you can contact me at strangerbridgerland.com is my website um, it's got all the information there all of my books are on amazon under stranger bridgerland book series um, and they're all on softback and kindle i now have a, a few on audible and i'm hoping that before summer i'll have them all on audible which will be great as well um and then also, um, you can, my wife and I just do a little podcast, um, once a week where we talk about strange and unusual, cool things. And that's the stranger Bridgerland podcast. If you guys are ever interested, um, check that out. And, uh, like I said, uh, stranger Bridgerland, you can get a hold of me there, find out anything that you need to about me or ask me questions or just, uh, email me and tell me you can't stand me, whatever you want to do. <laughs> so... <laughs> And of course, for all the listeners out there, I will include all the links down in the show description so you guys can find everything quick and easy. And uh, as for you, John, man, I appreciate you making the time to come on today. And it's always fun, always a fascinating conversation with you. I love talking to people that have stories, love throwing theories back and forth on them. So we'll definitely have to set something back up uh, to have you come back on. Uh, maybe even after your next book comes out, maybe we can have you come back on and talk a little bit about your next book to help promote it a little bit and then get more into some of these different stories and theories. That'd be awesome. Thank you guys so much. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, thank you so much, John, for coming on. This has been a blast. I've uh, really enjoyed hearing your stories and picking your brain. So thank you again. You bet. And thank you guys again. Anytime you want me on. So.
If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, if you guys leave a five-star review, we'll read on the show, give you guys a massive shout out. And if you know anybody that might enjoy this particular episode or the show as a whole, don't forget to share the show through word of mouth. Uh, if you guys want to get people into the show through little clips and stuff, you guys can always go and check out the YouTube or the TikTok, uh, send them a clip of the show, and maybe it'll get them into listening to the entire possible episode. And as always, you guys know the drill. Do all the internet things. Get up with us through either Discord, through Instagram, through Facebook, through uh, the email address. And, you know, as always, um, send your own Bizarre Encounters to Shane for possibly his book that he's working on or just for us to share on the air. And if you guys would like to do that, you guys can send those to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com, or you guys know the link tree, and there is a specific submission form for that. And there, of course, is another submission form that is intended for you guys to contact us. But every single thing that we've mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, I have been the one, the only Shane Squatch. And I've been Orin. And guys, again, I got to tell you every week because I love you guys. I want you guys to not feel like you're wrapped up in the normal world. It's not fun to be normal. So guys, always remember to stay bizarre. 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 Glitch in the Matrix?